Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialist, Jan Evrizi, and special guest in a special week, our chief euro area economist, Giovanni Zani. Uh, Gio, the most well-timed guest to have on this podcast, given that we're literally recording hot off the press, uh, with the ECB and Draghi resigning this morning. So, so much to get through. Uh, let's start with the ECB. We finally have liftoff, uh, very exciting, uh, on rate hikes, but obviously, uh, a much larger rate hike than we were expecting. Uh, so can you talk us through today's decision? Yeah, sure. So, uh, well, the ECB decided to surprise with this 50 basis point hike, <clears throat> despite having uh, given guidance for, for 25 quite clearly. Uh, and she justified by saying that, first of all, well, they've seen higher persistence in inflation since the June meeting, and also because of the announcement of this new uh, anti-fragmentation instrument, the TPI, that will uh, allow them to be faster on rates because it will not create uh, issue on, on the transmission side. Uh, beside that, she mentioned that uh, risk on growth might be a little bit on the downside, but that inflation risk in the short term were clearly higher on so many uh, aspects, at least for the kind of short to medium term. So that's the reason why, even though in her you know, delivery, there was this sense that maybe the negative growth numbers could then change the view and then, and then uh, create a different setting for, for higher rates in, in the future. So thinking about that kind of future then and, and the setting for rates, what, what do you think today's meeting means for future rate hikes? Um, has it changed your expectations of, of the kind of pace at hikes at, at the next couple of meetings? Well, that's, that's an interesting question because you would say, you know, they, they hike more and they already said in the past that September would be even higher than, than July. So you have this kind of expectation. But she was very clear in saying, you know, forget past for guidance, everything has changed now, it will be meeting by meeting. Uh, and so in that context, um, and also considering this kind of lingering risk on growth, I, I'm not sure that it means much higher rates. I know that markets are repressed a little bit, especially at the, at the short end, so for the next two or three meetings, except for this year, which, which makes sense. But overall, this idea that the terminal rate has probably not changed, and she 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 said that too. Uh, I think that's that's fair and an interpretation of what they have in mind, and also uh, of our view. I would say. Yeah, that that makes sense. So, what about this anti-fragmentation tool? Then the the TPI, as they're calling it, that was the other kind of major announcement that we were maybe hoping for today. We weren't certain that it, it would come, but actually it, it did come with, with all the details really as well that, that we might have expected. So can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, so the, the, there was a, a decent amount of detail, but not everything. And by the way, I don't think that a lot more details will, will come just because uh, this idea of uh, um, constructive ambiguity is probably part of the tool, and it was also the case for the uh, OMT uh, when it was created by Draghi. So what, what is the TPI? TPI is non-restricted in terms of size, at least ex ante, uh, maturity um, up to 10 years, um, eligibility, 
it's it's quite a complex um, galaxy of of uh, of variables and of uh, of indicators. But essentially, what the ECB is saying is that if you comply with the European rules, if you are compliant with the com the European Community, and you have a problem in terms of spread and fragmentation, and warranted fragmentation then the ecb will be will be there to act so it was a, a bit of a, a, a mix and, and and match of indicators that there is some indication also to the esm but it's really uh, you know drawn in in a lot of other indicators and the main ones are those of respecting the rules of living in the uh, the community of the european community basically Finally, on spreads, then, I guess it would be a bit remiss of us to be recording this today and not talk about um, Italian politics, particularly as we have you here. Um, I know the ECB has taken over a little bit this morning, but but spreads are still widening, uh, I guess, largely because of this morning's events rather than anything that we really learned from the ECB, because as you say, those, the kind of announcement on the TPI was, was broadly in line with expectations. Um, new elections, I suppose, are... And now your base case in Italy is is that right? And and how do you see this kind of developing over the coming months or years? Even you know, does Draghi still have a role in government in some form? How do markets take it if he do or he doesn't? If he do, if he does or he doesn't? Um, what what's your take on on the latest kind of political drama? Well, the reality is that everything that is not Draghi is going to be worse for markets for. European markets as well, I would say for the euro and for uh, for uh, for all Italian assets in general, not just uh, not just bonds. Uh, that's that's a fact. At the same time, we would have had elections anyway uh, in a few months' time. So it's 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 an acceleration. It's a deterioration of something that, uh, in a sense, you know, had to happen. So it's an anticipation. Uh, and the way maybe it has been uh, conducted is, is definitely not something helpful for, for Italy. But then if you look at the kind of more general fundamentals of the economy, I don't think that there is a specific uh, problem in terms of sustainability of the uh, Italian economy. Uh, so, so a lot will depend on what happens you know, in the next few months and, and, and who wins the election, etc. You asked about the role for Draghi. Well, definitely will have a role, at least like a, a ghost role, in the sense that uh, all the parties that have still supported him in this in this uh, confidence vote, so the Democratic Party, all the centrist party, some elements of the uh, Berlusconi party as well, have said that they will kind of um, you know present themselves with uh, the Draghi program, basically in opposition to what will be the, the main opposition group from the, the, the right, uh, and, and also uh, probably Movement Five Star, or what, what's left of it. So it will be there. Then I don't know if you will be, if, if you will have a more active role in this kind of support. It's a possibility, I don't know. Uh, so moving more into a political role, but you know, we, we will see. I mean, these, these are the developments. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, spreads, uh, you know, I, I think that the bias is to be uh, more negative. 
for now. Uh, and uh, and yeah, we'll see. Elections are due quite early, so there will be time then to have a, a budget. And so we'll see by the end of the year what, what happens. I mean, things can go quite bad, I must say. But you know, it's it's not a given. And you know, the fact that there is support for the uh, for the center right uh, for a center right majority under Meloni right now, it doesn't mean that this will be the the outcome of the elections. So we'll see. Okay, I think we even spoke last week with Giles on the pod about our views on on uh, BTP bond spreads, and I'm fairly confident, although I would have to go back and re-listen, that he talked about, uh, you know, thinking that, that the long end of the curve was a bit more vulnerable. And I guess today's news with the TPI that they're just targeting the kind of one to ten year mature or or could be buying one to ten year maturities adds to to that idea that spreads across the curve are probably vulnerable, but but the long end in particular uh, versus the rest. Okay, great. Thank you, Giovanni. Well, sounds like Giovanni will definitely have a lot to think about and talk about for the foreseeable future. But it's moving away from from the euro area, which obviously they got you know took the headlines. But we we had a really busy week in the UK as well, especially data wise. So what what did we learn today, Imogen? Let's just shift to that. Yeah, it was the big data week in the UK this week. So we've had um, inflation, we've had labor market data, we've had public finance data, uh, and we're still not done. We've still got PMIs to come, um, retail sales as well. Um, but I guess the, the key ones there that we were, you know, obviously what, and markets were obviously watching most closely were um, inflation and um, the labor market data. This week's perhaps more important than others, just because it, you know, not only is it the big week of data, but it's the last monthly print of all of these that the MPC will get uh, ahead of the August meeting. This MPC has been slightly ahead of the ECB, let's say, in adopting a data dependence approach. uh, And therefore it felt like this would be the key week in determining uh, kind of their and market expectations for what might be delivered in August. on the inflation front, it's headline CPI surprised very marginally to the upside. It came in at 9.4. Uh, we had 9.3 pencil then, um, but very much in line with the Bank of England's um, Q2 forecast that they laid out in the May monetary policy report. So um, on that, I don't think that that adds a particular impetus towards more tightening than we might have been expected, but especially so when you look at the core data and core actually came off for the second month in a row. Uh, we do think it picks back up again next month, uh, but we do expect that to be the peak in our kind of monthly profile for core CPI. And, and that's a major turning point. And to the extent that the Bank of England was looking at this data to uh, you know, assess the persistence in inflation, and that's what they've been saying that they're looking for in order to act more forcefully as persistent inflation. I think two months in a row of, of weaker core CPI uh, is not really evidence of that. And you have that then backed up again by um, the headline average weekly earnings data this week, you know, um, Bailey, Pill, uh, amongst others have, have reiterated that persistent by persistent inflation, what they really mean is not just high inflation, but pr- uh, evidence of, you know, domestically generated price pressures and, and wage inflation. Uh, and this week's labor market data didn't suggest that either. Um, so broadly in line, most of the data are a little bit mixed, but to the extent that we were looking at this for indicators 
indications that we might expect a larger move in August. I don't think we got any signals of in that respect. The market's still pricing in 50 basis points. Our base case is still 25. Um, so it feels like there's a lot of juice in that trade, but I don't think there was anything this week that would make you think that 50 basis points was more likely than it was last week. And, and to dig in a little bit more on the monetary policy side, this week for the first time we heard some actual numbers being put on on the potential size of QT. What, what do you think about that? There was a lot of back and forth with like headlines saying something and then a lot under the hood. So can you walk us through what we what we got? Yeah, it was a particularly messy moment for Bloomberg, I think. Um, uh, but Bailey made his Mansion House speech on Wednesday, uh, and as you say, it was the first time that they've really. Um, put some numbers around the possible uh, size of balance sheet reduction when it came to QT. Uh, and I used put some numbers around quite broadly because he gave a very big range. He said 50 to 100 billion in terms of total reduction in the size of the balance sheet. Um, given that the kind of natural or passive rundown of the portfolio is is you know, obviously a set number now, given that they're not buying anything more and it's a known quantity. That means that he gave us a range of, of 50 billion of which uh, active sales might amount to in the first year. So a pretty broad range, but actually if you take what we know about the passive rundown of the portfolio and that the next year it's going to be, well, if we think about the next fiscal year or the next calendar year, they're, they're pretty similar, but, but they both have a roll down of about 34, 35 billion. Um, and then we add on our active sales number that we think in, in as a yearly pace of 35 billion, you get a, a total balance sheet rundown of 70 billion. So bang in the middle of that range that, that Bailey suggested. Now, the sort of an annoying thing about this was it was the first time that we had been given numbers around QT, but because it was delivered so messily by, or reported so messily by Bloomberg in that they suggested initially that, that QT say, sales could amount to 150 billion, um, which was not what was said at all, then it was difficult to really interpret the, the market reaction and and whether, and the, also the fact that he gave such a wide range, you know, of, of 50 billion of a rundown in the balance sheet could imply only 15 billion in active sales or 65 billion of active sales if we're at the top end of that 100 billion range. So we didn't really learn much from the market reaction in terms of what, what expectations are, but I still think that they sit pretty close to um, you know, the numbers that, that we've been talking about, 35 billion of, of active sales. The other point I would just highlight around Bailey while we're on that subject is that he also talked about this idea that 50 basis points are on the table. And now I might feel a little bit foolish talking about this just post the ECB where <laughs> I've been saying all week that of course 50 basis points was on the table, but their credibility meant too much that, that they wouldn't do that. Um, but it, you know, it, it felt to me like, of course he was going to mention 50 basis points was uh, you know, one of the options on the table. He's been clear, Pill's been clear that the change in the guidance at the last meeting was around um, opening up the kind of distribution of options, I suppose. You know, they wanted to get away from this quasi-automatic settings of just raising by uh, a quarter percentage point at every meeting. Uh, but every time they've talked about options being on the table, they've also talked about how those options goes both go both ways. Uh, and that means that, you know, there are options on the smaller side as well. It's, it's not just about opening up one end of the distribution for for where rates can go um so unchanged views really from us on on the rate side um despite the fact that it, you know we've had a lot to kind of digest this week 
that's probably enough from me on the UK. So back to you, Dan, because it's also the Fed next week. So perhaps you can wrap this up just by quickly going through what your expectations are for the Fed. We talked at length last week, I think, about whether it was going to be 75 or 100 basis points. Uh, have your views changed on that? Where, where have you settled now? No, they haven't changed. And kind of like we discussed last week, backtracking a little bit, the whole discussion about 100 base points came after uh, certain more hawkish FOMC members came out saying, you know, inflation is super strong. We might have to do a little bit more. That got backtracked pretty quickly. Uh, and and it, I think we got to the point where a lot of them realized, or even the more hawkish members realized that increasing the pace sometimes could be counterproductive and 75 base points is a very very rapid pace no matter what. So uh, they have signaled that there has been a unanimous message. We were looking for some housing data this week. The housing data was weaker, although I don't think it carried that much weight compared to retail sales anyways, but it was weaker nevertheless, uh, which should kind of push the case for, uh, push the case similarly for a 75 base point hike. We had Michigan preliminary inflation expectations a little bit lower. So, so uh, I, I struggle to see why they would surprise just like kind of like ECB style. But uh, so I think we will get the 75. Just the question remains uh, how the press conference goes. If it's going to be, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but if it's going to be a dovish 75 base point hike or if it's going to be a, a hawkish hike where they kind of signal that they might slow down the pace versus we might have to maintain something aggressive like this. And that's what the market's really looking for to see uh, forward-looking indication. Even though those forward guidance have not been very reliable, the market still, that's the best we can get. And that's kind of what we're going to be eyeing to see. Our base case is for them to continue uh, saying that they're going to maintain a pace, but without necessarily putting like a 75 on it, say it could be in the 50 to 75 base point range, but uh, you know they will want to see the inflationary pressures uh, through rather than project a, a decline. How does that leave your front-end rate view? Then that's something we've discussed quite a bit and over the last couple of weeks on, on this pod. Are you still see scope for kind of higher rates then if you think that this opens up the door towards to perhaps bigger uh, hikes over a longer period of time than we might otherwise have been expecting? Yeah, I'm, we're still comfortable with having this kind of short front-end rates view. And I think that comes mostly in the form of uh, like a bit steeper front end curve because what we disagree with is, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week too, but it was mostly that markets expect a cut starting from early next year. And we just don't see that materializing. Kind of like what I said, the Fed will want to, will, they will want to see inflation fall down and they will have to see it through rather than bank their expectations. And then we see another rise or something along those lines. They would, they would definitely not want to go that. And that means that you have to maintain rates high uh, before, uh, you know, before you can even think about cutting, maybe you stick where you are, but that does you should not be you know pulling back from uh, from tightening as early as like March next year. Uh, we disagree with that. Obviously, the big kind of canary in the coal mine is if we get a severe recession. That's not our base case. Uh, there's a lot of technicalities that go into like the Q1 numbers, but next week we're gonna get the Q2 numbers too. And if they show uh, you know, another negative print, that's gonna create a lot of questions. I'm sure the kind of the financial media sphere will go a little uh, bonkers around it, but you know, there's there's an argument to be made that if economic growth slows down, they could, but that's not our base case. We still think consumer is robust, not as robust as it used to be, but uh, this agreement really comes with 
they, they hike. I don't have a very strong view. If they go to four, four and a half percent, my stronger view is that they just are not able to cut super early next year. Thank you both for joining me. And just a reminder to our listeners that if you liked today's episode, then don't forget to hit the like button and press subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.